I'm Jody Cross. I'm joined with Rob Brockman and Pat Sabell, and this is the Worship God Podcast. We're glad to be with you today. Today we are are starting to uh, talk about a brand new topic that's related to last week. We're doing Gospel-Shaped Gatherings Part 2, and we are actually going to be taking that topic and looking at what gospel-shaped liturgy is. In other words, how we take the gospel and apply it to the various elements in a local church worship service. So thank you for tuning in today. We're glad that you're with us. Guys, we're going to jump right in here. And that word liturgy is, uh, it feels a little foreign to some people, perhaps. It's a word that we don't use very much. And if we have any familiarity with it, maybe we think it's like that big church with the tall steeple down the street. That's kind of what they do down there. Or maybe it's the church that I grew up in. So let's talk about gospel-shaped liturgy for our gospel-shaped gatherings. And does does liturgy fit into gospel-shapedness? So, Rob, why don't you tell us uh, what liturgy is, actually? Yeah, and a lot of people think, like, well, we don't have a liturgy. Like, we're not a Catholic church. Like, we're not a Presbyterian Anglican church. Liturgy just is simply the way in which a church worships, the, the kind of the elements and how a church worships. So yet every single church has a liturgy. And what's really interesting is to evaluate what does your church's liturgy say about what you believe, about what worship is. Um, because if you evaluate what's going on in our worship times, um, that can help us give us a clue onto like, well, what do we actually believe about worship? And liturgy will really inform that. And so if liturgy is all about, you know, flashing cool music and cool, you, have, you got cool lights, cool music going on and a sermon series about like a, a relevant topics or social media, it reveals something a bit about what we believe. Or if our service is all about a quiet sanctuary and hard pews and repetitive elements, that reveals something about what we believe. So our liturgy actually, we all have it, and it speaks loudly about what we believe. And so it's interesting, an interesting thought experiment to go, okay, what is what are the liturgies that I'm putting together as a worship leader or that I'm part of at my church? What does that say about what I believe? Because liturgy speaks and it communicates. Okay. Pat, what would you add to that in terms of liturgy and what your understanding of it is? Yeah, I, I think it's 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 really about being intentional in the planning or the structuring of our corporate gatherings. Um, yeah, I think it's Andrew Wilson writes in his book, A Spirit and Sacrament. He says a set order of worship is more or less inevitable. And therefore, it makes sense to ensure that ours is spiritual and as biblical as possible. Um, and then he goes on to say, and I, I would add gospel-centered, as, as gospel-centered as possible, but he says liturgy is not merely neutral, but positive. It's not just inevitable, but powerful. It can train us, shape our habits, reorient our desires. So when we think about the Sunday gathering, we, we want to be thinking in terms of God's people are coming and we have the, the glorious opportunity. And if you think about it, a worship leader gets, you know, half of pretty much half of a, of a gathering. Um, you know, we're, we're doing maybe 20 minutes in the front and 10 minutes in the back yeah. or however you do church. There's a lot of opportunity to shape and, um, and train. And so um, I think often uh, worship leaders are, are, you know, going to CCLI or picking their favorite songs 
mm-hmm. um, and, and not giving enough thought to, to why we do what we do when we gather. And so liturgy is important. You have one right now, whether you think you do or not. We're just talking about like, let's be, let's be as, as intentional as possible to make sure, as, as Andrew Wilson says, we're as spiritual, we're as biblical, we're as gospel-centered as, as we could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this just underscores the importance of the planning process, doesn't it? Not only the, the enacting of it, but the thought that goes into the 90 minutes that, that we have as worship planners, worship leaders together with the preaching pastor to create a, a service that is is pointing to Christ, and uh, so what we're what we're not saying, or what we're saying is not the way to do it. Is I'm going to grab three of my favorite songs, do song one, two, three. I'll go fast, medium, slow, say a prayer, and then the message comes on. And we we've probably done that at, at times, yep. but that is that is there's so much more that we can do than that, right? There's so much right. more intentionality, more focus, and so at the heart of it. We're not just um, gathering to sing some songs. We're there to reenact, to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, to lift up his name and his work, and then to respond to that. I had a definition once I heard that um, in worship, God is the initiator. We are the responders. It's it's the love response to the, the grace and the person of God in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so we want to be responsive as God speaks to us and invites us. So how do we begin to say... Uh, no to just picking three songs and moving towards a gospel-shaped liturgy. Rob, what would you say? Well, I think I think it's first of all it's important to study even. Okay, if, I, if that's what I'm used to, I'm just picking songs, three songs, and saying a prayer, and then the pastor comes up and preaches. What is that? What do I believe about worship then? What about what is governing worship? And mm-hmm. you know, one of the big arguments that we would make for go- a gospel-shaped liturgy, a gospel-shaped gathering is that it starts to fend off some of the preferences um, that may start to govern church services and the fights, therefore, that start. When, when preference mm-hmm. governs, that tends to brew a lot of conflict in the church. And so, yeah. you know, I, I think, you know, often I think what most churches tend to do, and I'm going to say this and it's going to sound right and good. And and we're all going to go, wait a second, what's wrong with that? And not that we're saying there's anything wrong with it, but most churches, I think, tend to have a sermon-based liturgy where every week what's happening is you're taking the theme of the sermon and that's directing what happens in the service and the songs. And um, this grant sounds great. And, well, yes, the, this sounds so spiritual, right? Well, the word is determining our liturgy. But Brian Chappell actually in his, in his book, uh, Christ-Centered Worship says this, in most people's minds, the stuff that fills the early time of the service is considered only the prelude to the sermon, the opening act as a main event. And they have been not to, to, to be to they have not been taught to think of the worship service as having gospel purposes and as a consequence the preparation for the word is evaluated only for its ability to hold attention to build emotion and to attract people and i think what chapel's getting at is essentially we say that the goal of our worship service is to worship god but what does that actually show about just preparing for the sermon. Really, it's just about getting our attention. So I think we need to see the weakness sometimes in these other, there can be weaknesses in these other forms of what governs our liturgy. But if you have a gospel purpose behind your 
your service planning every week, what it's going to do, it's going to strengthen your resolve each week as you're planning services. It's going to give you focus. It's going to give you intent. And it's going to, it's going to be another form of preaching in, in your yeah. service. And, and we'll talk more about this, but like, we're going to preach the gospel, not only in our sermons, but we're going to preach the gospel through the progression of our service. And I think that has incredible advantages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Good. yeah good. If, you, if you think of, um, you know, uh, the, the, the pastor, you know, we, we, we say he, he preaches the gospel every week or hopefully he does. Unfortunately, there's a lot of churches out there where, where there's no gospel, even in the sermon, but mm. Um, I would say for the most part, there's, there's pastors preaching the gospel in their sermons. Um, and, and, you know, if we would be very disappointed if our pastor didn't take 10, 15, 20 hours a week in preparation for that, that role. And yet we, you know, we've, we've assigned and, and, and to the shame of, and I think lead pastors, often lead pastors don't know what to do with this whole situation and they're just looking for somebody that that's got a little bit of skill a little bit of gift here you play guitar yeah. you sing could you could you just take that and then get me to where i need to i'll preach the gospel you just do your thing and i think we've done a disservice in in not understanding that 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 person who's is planning the first 30 minutes of that gathering or the service um Man, could you imagine if if we were taking 15 to 20 hours a week and praying into that and seeking God and loving the gospel, delighting in Jesus and thinking, how could we spread a banquet feast, a banquet table Mm -hmm. of feasting on Christ in the first 30 minutes of our gathering? When we got to the word, we were so longing to just our hearts were just ready to receive God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we're talking about is intentionality. We're talking about investment into understanding that, it, and, and yeah, there's a lot of lay people out there. There's a lot of people that don't get paid uh, to, to do that first 30 minutes of the gathering. But, but I, w- I would call for everyone out there that's a worship leader that's serving their church in this way to, to think intentionally and invest in saying, okay, I can't give you know, 15 or 20 hours, like my paid senior pastor to preach, Mm -hmm. but I can give 10 and it'll be, Mm -hmm. you know, hours here and hours there. And and I'll just be praying the week, thinking through the songs, thinking about scriptures or creeds or confessions or prayers, things that could just help our people be rooted and grounded in the gospel. uh, I think it's just vitally important. And I think that we need, we need to remember that preaching isn't the only preaching Sunday morning. Um, right. Certainly it's the primary form of teaching and preaching, but, but I think biblically we need to start thinking about worship as preaching because what worship is, is it is declaring what God has done. It is proclaiming his excellencies. It is declaring his salvation. Like listen to the words of Psalm 98. It says this, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous marvelous things his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him a lot of what we're singing is proclaiming the gospel it's preaching the gospel in song so if you have unbelievers there when we're singing we should be singing the gospel proclaiming the gospel so that the whole service is preaching the whole service i think this is why paul in first corinthians 14 even says you know 
when, when you come together, somebody's going to have a hymn, somebody's going to have a lesson, somebody's going to have a revelation, somebody's going to have an inter- tongue or an interpretation. It's like, let everything be done. For, everything in this process is for building up. And we can preach through our whole service. And gospel, a gospel liturgy is, is an amazing way to contribute to the preaching of the gospel in our services. As Rob, as you're saying that, I'm thinking too of the other side of the coin, which is interesting. Piper's book on preaching is called Expository Exaltation. And so, you know, while you're saying that our worship is preaching, Piper would say that our preaching is worship. Yeah, right. Because yeah. In sense, the fact that the whole is working together mm-hmm. to uh, exalt the name of Christ, spoken word, sung word, the response of God speaking in us, or us, us responding to God's initiation through Christ. Uh, it really makes the whole thing a unified whole if we understand our purpose, mm, both yeah. in the words proclaimed and the, and the music sung and the prayers prayed. So, okay, so we've established that everybody has a liturgy. We have our forms, and usually they're ruts. Usually they're denominational ruts, they're personality ruts, they're leadership ruts. Ruts aren't bad, they're just well-worn paths, right? We have the well-worn paths, Baptist paths, and whatever kind of path we're on. So... We have a path. It might be a good path. It might not be a good path. But we're saying, let's make sure the gospel is the central theme to everything that we do. Right. Now, where do we start? Let's say, you know, I'm convicted and I'm I'm going, you know, I think my liturgy might be a little lame or it might be a little lacking or it might be a little light. Uh, where do we begin if we're trying to build a gospel-shaped liturgy? Yeah, I, I think it's important maybe even here to say that um, uh, we we don't all do church the same, but we we should have the same gospel. Mm-hmm. And so and even talking about these the various components of a of a gospel shaped gathering, um, I think the danger can be is if if we don't do church exactly like we're talking about then we're not gospel shaped right um we we don't want to prescribe that i think what we want to prescribe is is how do we make sure that uh, jesus is being proclaimed in in all aspects of the gathering so you know and i think when we when we use gospel shaped gathering we're, we're we're again i think we talked about it just a bit last in our last podcast but the fact is, you know, in its simplest forms, uh, how I like to say it is, is God is holy. Uh, we are sinners. Jesus saves us from our sins. Jesus sends us. Um, so if I think in those categories, I, I think of I want to begin a gathering uh, at the outset, re- reminded that it starts with God. As you said, Jody, at the beginning here, that God is the great initiator. God's the initiator. He's the one who calls us to worship him. We wouldn't, we wouldn't even be in our pews or in our seats on a Sunday morning. And oh, how we long for that day again mm. right now <laughs> when we can. But we wouldn't be there if he hadn't called us. Um, he, he, from, from the beginning in Genesis 1, the Lord, you know, God said, and there was, and he's still speaking today. Um, he's the one who even as Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you were dead in your transgressions and sins um, but it was it was him who made us alive who called us to himself called us to worship him so 
you know, we, we want to begin with a, with a call to worship. And often people think of a call to worship as that's where the worship leader calls the church and says, hey, you know, get out of the lobby and get in here and put your coffee down and we're going to worship now. How you feeling this morning, church? That's kind yeah. of a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not quite a call to worship. Let's let's whip them up with some fast songs. And, yeah, yeah. And they're all, you know, they've they they're dragging themselves in and need some real help here as we trans yeah. <laughs> uh, move yeah. on here. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we just think in terms of like, I wanna I wanna remind my church that, you know, boy, they're coming in and they are they're experiencing life. They're experiencing life in in some of the most difficult circumstances uh, every one of us is bombarded by our own flesh the world the devil um and and here we come we're coming into that gathering i want to remind my people we always say to our church church we, we need you here at 10 a.m sharp because mm. when we begin we're going to begin with a call to worship and if your church is like my church nobody ever likes to show up on yeah. time um and sometimes they show up 15 minutes later with a Starbucks in their hand and you're like, oh, give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> that self-righteous thing just gets you in those moments. Oh, yeah. But but we want to remind our church and we need to we need to teach over and over again, reminding when we join as God's people, we're joining this morning and God is about to address us. God is the one who's calling us to worship him this morning. So I want to start with a big view of God. I want to, I want to remind my church that wherever your head's been, wherever your heart's been, whatever you've been running after and doing, guess what? This morning, as we begin to gather, God, the sovereign of the universe is calling us to worship him. And I want to highlight that. A call, a, a distinctive, important thing about a call to worship is the fact that God is calling you to worship. This isn't yeah. me calling you to worship. This isn't me trying to convince you, hey guys, you should worship God. The Lord, the sovereign Lord, the Alpha and Omega, He, the Lord Jesus, Jesus invites yeah. you to come and worship. The Lord invites you. And, it, and so we are, in, worship leaders are on behalf of God inviting yeah. the congregation to worship him. I think a great example of this, just this in the scriptures is Psalm 100. Like it's just a great example of what a, what a call to worship looks like. Make a joyful noise, all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing, know that he is the Lord, that he is God. Um, it's he who made us and we are his, and it goes on, enter his gates with thanksgiving. It's a very clear mm -hmm. come sing we're yeah. inviting people to an action it's not an, an ethereal yeah. thing we're, we're it's specific and it's on behalf of god and there's there's all kinds of great verses that we have our go-to's for uh it's, you can even just google great call to worship yeah. verses and they'll they'll give you a ton but but that's an important distinctive that pat hit on it is god inviting us to worship and so we are on behalf of god inviting our our people into that into praise into worship yeah, in other words, this is this is something significant that's about to happen that you're invited into. It's not just a concert. It's not just a sing songs, not karaoke time. This is, as you said, the meeting of God's people with the living God Himself. And I have been to services. Maybe we all have. Maybe I've led them, and we maybe we've all led them, where it felt like um, you know very human centered, horizontal experience. We were in a place with people singing songs, and there was the, just the lacking of the sense of transcendency. And, uh, it, you know, there was joy, but there was an emptiness when 
when it's not framed that God is calling us and that it's calling us beyond ourselves, beyond an experience of just enjoying music, it, it can be very hollow. And um, the trick is, if we're not careful about this, people can come into a gathering feeling like they've been in the building for 90 minutes. They did some singing. They read a few verses. They heard something preached. And then they leave as if the box is checked off. But sometimes it's actually not filling their soul with, with what they need. You know, I, Rob, as you are talking about Psalm 100, it's an excellent example. I was thinking of Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm. God's invitation to step up to that banqueting table and to partake of what he has for us in himself. Yeah. Right. And if I could just ask a question. Um, so there's a call to worship. How does that differ from, you know, the other 167 hours a week when we are, as lifestyle worshipers, worshiping? Is it just that we start to worship when the service begins? Or... Or is it something different? Is it a continuation of worship or is it a worship in a different way? Talk about the balance between what I've been doing the rest of my week, which is supposed to be worship, and then coming in to the gathering. Anybody want to tackle that one? Hmm. Well, I, I would say that there is a unique thing, and we've been talking about this for the last 10 months, that happens when we gather as the people of God to worship God. It's not that sitting at home on my computer, watching a sermon and singing songs in my house with my family is not worship. Of course it is. Of course I can worship God at home. Absolutely. I can worship God in a lot of different contexts, but the gathering, the in-person gathering, when we come to feast together on the gospel, that's the uniqueness. We're coming together to feast on the gospel and it's, it's kind of the, the, and I've had, I've heard Pat, you use this in your liturgies, like just kind of welcoming people to the table. And that's a feast, a family feast. And I think there's the very, that's certainly a distinction. We should be people who worship. I, in fact, one of the most helpful things to a worship leader is when my people come in already praising the Lord with a song in their heart. Like that's why Psalm 100 says, come into his presence with singing. <laughs> it's almost like, Hey, come in with a song already. Hopefully you've been singing on your way to church when, when we're ready to praise God together, that really helps the worship leader. But there is a very distinct thing happens when we're, when now we're singing together, as the new Testament says, now, now we're exhorting one another with Psalms and hymns yeah. and spiritual songs. And that, that is a very wonderful, beautiful, unique thing that only happens in the gathering that you can't get at home uh, on your, on your computer. Yeah, it's, you know, Hebrews 10, we're not to neglect uh, meeting together. And I think there's the, the command for God's people to come together and to, uh, and, and we are, we are the temple of the living God when we're, when we're alone, but when we come together corporately, there's something significant, something unique about God's people gathering together. And, and one of the, one of the things, the main reasons, I think, is because we're prone to wander. Um, you know, that's why we're to, not to neglect it. it. It talks there in Hebrews about um, uh, what's, what's, the, what's the, the thing that we're to do. I can't remember uh, the exact text. Oh, don't um, neglect the, uh, the gathering as in some are in the habit of doing, but, but uh, encourage one another all the more. Encourage encourage one another um so you know the 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 thought is is that um i i love jesus deeply i'm a pastor um 
And I find myself uh, wandering. I find myself drifting throughout the week. Um, and there's something beautiful about when God's people come. I want to. I want to take. I want to savor every second of that hour mm. and fifteen minute gathering to let it all be about Jesus. So that when my people are sitting in the pews and they have drifted, they have wandered, they have maybe even thought a couple times through the week. I don't. I don't know that. I think I've been worshiping a lot of other things, but but I've failed to really worship Jesus this week. I want to lift their eyes up and say, can you see Jesus? Can you see that he's never changed, that his steadfast love is the same towards you? I want to, I want to pump their hearts and their minds and just with the, the beauties and the glories of Jesus that guess what, in spite of you this week, it, it's not about you. It's all about him and what he has once and for all accomplished for you. That's why we need to be together. That's why we need to gather. You know, I hear a lot of things right now about the pandemic and people are saying, I don't even know if I'm going to go back to church. Uh, that, that just grieves me. I mean, if anything, this pandemic has is, is created deeper ache in my soul to be with God's people. Mm. Um, and for that very reason, that yeah. yes, I, I worship in my house and, you know, I do, I do family devotions and I do my personal devotions, but there is something special about God's people coming together and we need to exhort one another and encourage one another, build up one another. And we do that by, by placing Jesus, what G, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done before our people so that they go, guess what? I've been looking at myself and despairing, but this morning, what happened when I walked into that worship service, the first song that the very note, first note that was struck, I was freshly reminded that Jesus has paid it all. Mm. And, um, and that's the reason for, uh, you know, getting back up and saying next week, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to walk, walk, I want to walk in a manner worthy of this great gospel. Yeah. And I think this is why a call to worship is so important because if, if we want to get the gospel on display and if we want to get a big view of God, we need to get people to draw, we need to draw their attention. Cause, cause I think a lot of the time we just assume that people know why they're there and we just assume that people understand what's going on Sunday morning. And I think the good thing about having a gospel-shaped liturgy, and again, as we talk about the gospel, starting with God, this is why we start our, our liturgy with a call to worship, and then we move into our next section, which is a time of beholding the glory and the awesomeness and the majesty of God in adoration. We just focus mm. on his character. We focus on mm. his attributes. We sing songs that are geared and really focusing on who he is, what he has done. We're not singing about worship. We're, we're worshiping God and declaring what he has done. And so like Pat was saying, we want to get a, as, as we usher people in, we call them to worship. We're calling them to gaze like Isaiah did to gaze upon the Lord in his majesty, to look upon him in his splendor and his majesty. And like, I think of songs like all creatures of our God and King or all hail the power. Um, you know, these are, great opening songs just to kind of behold him behold the glory of god and all that he has done and and that we want to just fills 
fill people's eyes and their gaze with Jesus and God. And just that's, it's, it's a high goal. It's a, it's a very high goal, but that's really why we want to start our gospel narrative that way and our gospel liturgy that way, because that's the narrative. It starts with God. God created things. God made this all look, look and see him that, and that helps battle what you were saying before Jody, people just coming into church and just leaving an hour and a half later going, well, did that. You don't do that. When you see Jesus, when you look upon him and you see him, man, it's hard just to go, yeah, well, what's, what's next today? You know? Yeah, biblically, you see people who encountered, you know, countered God, countered angels. They had a they had a life changing experience. They were on their face. They were changed. Isaiah, woe is me! I'm I'm coming apart. And um, you know, I think it's true that because we have been in this famine for ten months, this corporate worship famine. Pat, what you said is so true, that we, Lord willing, are going to have this opportunity to re- to do a reboot, a restart, soon. And hopefully uninterrupted and not just 30%. I mean, 30% was great in Ontario, but 30% was still just 30%. And when it can be 100% of our people looking at each other, coming together, and us leading them, all the more reason why we need to actually have this figured out clearly. And yeah. because it it is, it's a lifeline. It's, you know, it's um, prone to wander. We feel it. We're thirsty. The world is doing everything it can, as you said, the world, the flesh, and the devil is doing everything it can to to marginalize God and to put me in the center and to put problems in the center and to put my needs in the center. And and this is so important to to right size God's sovereignty and supremacy and uh, to put me in the rightful place before Him. The I'm preaching through Colossians right now, and Colossians is just this wonderful book about the preeminence of Christ. And if people are thinking about just a big view of God and a big view of the finished work of Jesus, go to Colossians chapter 1 and 2. You're going to see it there. Paul lays it out as the alternative to to all of the false teaching and all of the things that draw us away to these other religious things. And I think that's a good word for us, too, as we think about gospel-shaped liturgy Mm -hmm. and planning our gatherings. So we managed in this last half an hour to talk about an introduction <laughs> guess there's a part three <laughs> yeah there could be many parts um because there are components pat just in say 30 seconds maybe rob will give you 30 seconds too so we've talked about a call to worship and the opening song what are some other components that maybe next time when we come back we'll begin to unpack but give me some of those components that we need to think through and maybe some things we miss about how the gospel shapes those things. Yeah, I, I think a uh, big view of God uh, typically leads to just an awareness of ourself um, and, and typically an awareness of ourselves that, that we've fallen short again, that we've missed the mark again, that we haven't loved the Lord as with our heart, soul, mind, and strength this week that we've not loved our neighbor as ourselves, And so, um, I, I'm a big fan of a corporate confession of sin in our gatherings. Um, and I think we don't confess our sin to wallow in our sin or wallow in self-pity, but we confess it so that the grace of God and the goodness of the gospel would be more beautiful uh, to us. And so out of a confession of sin, I'm a big fan of assurance, an assurance of pardon, which can be sung. It can be read through a scripture. Um, there's so many ways, uh, assurance of pardon, 
uh, you know, in our church, we, we did the passing of the peace, which basically uh, coming out of an assurance of part of reminding that guess what Jesus has forgiven all your sins. Not only has he forgiven your sins, but he's, he's made it possible for us to be at peace with one another because of uh, the, the reconciliation we have this way. We, we can have reconciliation this way as well. So, you know, we would, we would uh, take a moment where lots of churches will say, turn around and greet somebody, shake their hands. We taught our church that it was more than that. It was, it was at that moment when we look at somebody and say, peace be with you or the peace of Christ. What we were saying is Jesus Christ has reconciled us to himself and he's reconciled us to one another. And that's way more than 30 seconds. And there's more I could talk about, but sorry, Jody, uh, let's give it, give it to Rob. It was yeah. good, Rob. I mean, next week we'll, we'll, cause there's a lot more that we would say as part of a gospel liturgy. And so I think what we can do in the next episode is kind of flesh out a couple of these other things um, that like Pat was talking about. I think what I would just say is why is this so important that we do this? And just to, why should you tune in next week for the next episode? And what I would say this is, is what Mike Cosper says in his book, Rhythms of Grace. He says this liturgy that immerses people in the people of God in rhythms of grace doesn't merely train them for gospel-centered worship. It trains them for gospel-centered lives. That's the point is we want, we want to create a gospel people people who are fluent in the gospel constantly because we all need that prone to wander. You know, we're, 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 we're drifting constantly. And so we are people who part of our problem is we let go of the gospel constantly. And this is why I think I really advocate for a gospel centered liturgy because what it really does is it's just, Hey, let's just saturate as much as possible. Our people in the gospel, in the truths of grace. Let's just set, let's remind them of the story constantly because this is going to equip us for gospel centered lives. And that's the more important thing that we're constantly living in the fruit of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so that would be my plug for episode mm -hmm. three on this one. <laughs> yeah. And that comes, thank you guys. That comes back to what we talked about earlier that we're, we're shaping and discipling people in their walk, in their relationship to the Lord, not only through the Sunday gatherings, but sending them into the world. We'll talk about a benediction and uh, sending them to be uh, worshipers in the world that God sends them. So thank you for your time today. Thanks everybody for being here. Join us again next time, two weeks from now, when we'll do Gospel Shaped Gatherings, Liturgy Part 2 of our third section in this uh, little discussion we're having about Gospel Shaped Gatherings. I'm going to ask uh, Pat if you'd pray us out and just ask yeah. the Lord to, to help us, help those who are planning even now and, and need to be uh, thinking about these things. Amen. Father, uh, thank you that you love us and that um, no greater demonstration than to send your one and only son to die in our place for our sins. And um, uh, we wouldn't love you had you first not loved us. And uh, your love uh, is, is greater than we can comprehend. And I pray that you would help us to as Paul prays in Ephesians 3, to know the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of Christ. And uh, I pray that that would permeate our gatherings, um, that when people walk into our churches, they're more aware of 
the glory and the beauty of Jesus and the mercy and the grace and the kindness of Jesus than they are aware of their need to perform or their need to be accepted or loved uh, because Jesus, you, you have loved us with an everlasting love. Uh, let us, let us uh, be intentional as we think uh, we await that day where we'll be able to open again and, um, and that we would make the gospel um, uh, central in all that we do when we gather. And so I pray for every worship leader, for everyone that's listening in that might be a musician or on a worship team or a lead pastor. I pray for them. Mm-hmm. Would you increase their love for you, Jesus? set their hearts uh, aflame with with passion for you and for your gospel Uh, and i i thank you for this time we've had in jesus name amen